Good morning. It is great to be with you this morning. I uh, want to start out just by bringing you greetings from your West Virginia Baptist Convention family. I'm the, now the Northeast Area Minister for the West Virginia Baptist Convention, and we are a family of churches, 360 churches throughout West Virginia, and we have joined together as a convention of churches to do Christ's work together. And you folks are a very important part of that group of churches. We're large, small, everything in between. So I want to say greetings from your family, but I also want to thank you for your support and making mission and mission work possible. Before we get into God's word today, let's go to God in prayer. Almighty God, we thank you so much that we can gather here today. We thank you for this season and as we celebrate your coming to earth Father, we just want to pause and, and just take a moment to be in awe of who you are and the extent that your love came to earth, Father, to be one of us, but to die for us, to rise again. And Father, we anticipate as your family, you're coming again. And we pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, I don't have to tell you it's the day after Christmas, and I hope that that gift that you just agonized and agonized over for so long was well-received by that special someone that you gave it to yesterday. We all know what it's like to agonize over the perfect gift. But I've always wondered at Christmas time, do we really spend any time considering what gift we might bring to the one whose birthday we celebrate. You see, Christmas sometimes, I think, is, is like being invited to a birthday party. And you go to that party and you bring gifts for all the other guests, except the one who's celebrating a birthday. So at Christmas time, we celebrate the birth of Christ. And we spend a lot of time agonizing over what gift to give others who are invited to his party. But we don't take very much time at all to consider what gift shall we bring to God who came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. So that's what I want us to look at today. I mean, if, if uh, you agonized over what to give Aunt Betty. I, I can't help you with that. But maybe today we can look at what gift we might bring to the Christ of Christmas because that's a gift that we don't just bring at Christmas time, but we bring all the year long. So when you think about gifts in relation to the Christ child, Scripture records a couple of visits to the Christ child. We're going to look at them kind of in reverse chronological order today. The, the first one we're, group that we're going to look at are the Magi. We, we call them the wise men. Matthew 2 tells their story. Beginning in verse 1, it says, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who is born king of the Jews? 
For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. And verse 10, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. So the wise men saw the star, and they traveled a great distance to see the one who was born the king of the Jews. And we all know they brought extravagant gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And, you know, although we put them in our our manger scenes and they are in our Christmas pageants, the the wise men were actually late to the party. And and someone said one time that, you know, if the the wise men had been women, they would have arrived on time. (laughs) They would have cleaned the stable. They would have brought practical gifts. And, of course, being Baptists, they would have baked a casserole. But, you know, in the biblical account, the wise men are not chastised for being late. And their gifts are graciously received. But then you have the shepherds. When you think of the shepherds on that Judean hillside and the glorious announcement that they received... You know, Scripture tells us that the angel appeared and and they were terrified. But the angel says to them in Luke 2, beginning in verse 11, Don't be afraid, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angel went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that was told them concerning the child. The scripture says they went with haste. And in their haste to see this thing which had happened, they neglected to bring any gift at all. So I'm confused. In in 2021, as as we look at what gift to bring the Christ child, what gift we are to offer him at Christmas time and all year long, are, are we to bring extravagant gifts? 
Or is it okay to bring no gift at all? What is the appropriate gift? If you think about it, what is the appropriate gift to, to lay before a mother and her newborn child who, oh, by the way, is the incarnation of God? And when you look at it that way, is there really any gift that we can bring that is appropriate for the one, as John writes in John 1, that all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. So I struggle with the question, what gift shall I bring? What gift shall we bring? Well, you see, maybe the answer is not so much in the actual gifts themselves, but maybe the answer lies in something about these two groups. Maybe we can look at these two groups and find some similarity so that we might understand what is appropriate when we come before the Christ child. So are there any similarities in these groups? Let's look at the wise men first. It was important to Matthew in his gospel because he had a most, mostly Jewish audience that he really helped them to understand that Jesus Christ was Israel's Messiah. So he spends a, a great deal of his time in the first chapter of Matthew. That's the part that we never read because it looks kind of complicated. Really outlining that Jesus was from that royal line and was indeed Israel's Messiah. So how odd is it that in this, the most Jewish, I guess you could say, of all of the Gospels, that right after Jesus is born, you have a group of non-Jews showing up wanting to know where is the one who is born the king of the Jews. These non-Jews who had an interest in astrology or interpreting signs, and so they had seen a star, so they're, they're following it. But they're not Jewish. In fact, Scripture doesn't tell us a great deal about them. You know, we've made up a bunch of stuff about them. We, we sing the song, you know, We three kings of Orient are... Well, they probably weren't from the Orient. We don't really know how many there were. And they definitely were not kings. <laughs> but then I guess singing We Three Kings is, is a lot easier than trying to sing We, unknown quantity of pagan astrologers. That just doesn't, that just doesn't work. But anyway, never mind. <laughs> but we speculate about these unknown quantity of people who show up from the East. You know, scholars speculate that uh, they may have been highly educated pagan priests or astrologers, most likely from a territory that was hostile to the Jews, possibly what is now modern-day Iran. And, and they show up unannounced in Jerusalem and want to know where is the one who is born the king of the Jews. Here it is, the last people on earth who should have known who Jesus was are the first people to call him the king of the Jews. Now, 
They don't hide their identity. They're possibly from a hostile country. They practice magic arts. They show up, waltz right in to the palace himself, right before Herod. They don't disguise who they are. They just show up. Hi, where is the one who is born the king of the Jews? And as you can imagine, not just Herod, but that threw all of Jerusalem into an uproar. What do you mean, where is the one who is born the king of the Jews? Herod says, hey, wait a minute, you know, I'm, I'm a king. So, that's the wise men. What about the shepherds? I bet there are a lot of similarities between the shepherds and the wise men, wouldn't you think? Well, the shepherds were filthy and poor. And in a society that was fanatical about ritual cleanliness, they were the epitome of ritual uncleanliness. They were even unfit to worship God. So when you look at these groups, you think, well, well how are we going to find any clues here about an appropriate gift to bring? Because these two groups appear to have absolutely nothing in common. But I think if you look closely, you'll find that they have quite a bit in common. One thing is that the wise men and the shepherds, both groups, are the least likely to be worthy of being invited to God's party. God comes to earth in the form of Jesus Christ. He comes to his own people. And who are the first people to get invited to the party? Pagan astrologers and filthy shepherds. Isn't that amazing? But see, they are invited to God's party before anyone else. They're invited before the kings of the earth. They are invited before the religious elite. Dirty shepherds and pagan astrologers who aren't even Jewish. The last are first. Amazing. And the first are last. They're not worthy. None of us are worthy, you know. Yet we too are invited to God's party. The second thing is they came as they were. There was no pretense about them being anyone else than who they were. The wise men saw a star and the shepherds had the glorious announcement and they just came. They just came. They came as they were. They were dirty on both accounts. Spiritually and physically, in the case of the shepherds. Dirty on both accounts. But they came as they were. They didn't stop to clean up or change their identity along the way. God invites us to come as we are, you know. Clean, dirty, saint, sinner. 
Not only are we invited to his party, but we're invited to come as we are. We don't stay as we are once we arrive. But God invites us to come as we are. His salvation, that great gift, is offered to all of us. All of us, Jew and Gentile, clean and dirty, rich and poor. It's offered to all of us, you and me, freely. It's a gift. The third thing is that their encounter with the Christ child changed their life, their lives forever. And you may say, well, wait a minute. How how do you know that this encounter changed their life forever? We never hear of the wise men again. They never show up again. They're never referenced again. Not in the Gospels, not in the Epistles. We never hear from them again. The shepherds, they come and they go. And we don't hear from that group so much again. So how can I stand here today and say that that their lives, this encounter, changed their lives forever? I like what Richard Foster says. He says, to stand before the Holy One of eternity is to change. You see, the wise men and the shepherds stood before the Holy One of eternity. The, The wise men didn't just pay a visit. Scripture says that they worshiped before the incarnate God. To worship, to truly worship, is to change. And the shepherds worshiped as well. In fact, they they came and they were so excited. They came dirty and poor and left rejoicing and sharing this wonderful news that had been told to them. I'm reminded of John 1, beginning in verse 9. It says the true light, Jesus, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world, and he was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. But listen to this, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That can happen to you and me, you know. When we worship before the incarnate God, when we give ourselves totally to him, we indeed are changed forever, and we too can become children of God. Does scripture tell us that the wise men and the shepherds became children of God? It does not. But to worship before the incarnate God is to change. There's a story 
I don't know how many of you have been involved in children's Christmas pageants. If you have, you know they're an adventure. They are. You know, the tinfoil halo and the bathrobe shepherd thing, you know, it, it, it's, they're, they're an adventure. And directors struggle sometimes because in every production, I don't care what church it is, in every production, there's one child. There's always one. Oh, they're sweet and they're wonderful. But they're just maybe awkward. So you, you struggle. What, what part do I, do I give this child? That I want them to be in it and I want their parents to be happy. And, but I can't think of what part to give them. Well, there was a particular production. And the directors had one of these kids and they decided we'll give him the part of the innkeeper. One appearance, one line, there's no room. What could go wrong? What could go wrong? So on the night of the performance, Mary and Joseph, you know, appear at, at the end and they knock on the door and the little boy shows up and, and he says, there is no room at the end. And he closes the door and the directors breathe a giant sigh of relief. He did it. He did it. But as Mary and Joseph turn and start walking away, suddenly the door bursts open again. And the little boy comes running out and says, Wait, wait, wait. You can have my room. You can have my room. You know, maybe those bathrobe and tinfoil halo Christmas pageants give us the proper view of the Christmas story. As, as someone has said, they are pictures of what happens to unremarkable people in a dark world when suddenly and in ways they can't fully understand the glory of the Lord shines upon them. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 9 says, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. For the wise men, it was a star. For the shepherds, it was the glory of the Lord. For this little boy, it was a light bulb that went off in his head. So how do we respond when the light shines on us? It has shone on us, you know. The end of our struggle... What gift shall we bring when all is said and done? What, what have we learned here? Well, maybe the best gift that we can bring to the Christ of Christmas, not just at Christmas time, but, but all year long, is to come as we are, rich, poor, 
clean, dirty, saint or sinner, without any pretense. But rather to come with an expectancy that, that God has something wonderful, not just for us to experience, but for us to see and enjoy. And an openness. And an openness that possibly, in an instant, in, in one spontaneous moment, our lives might be changed forever. The prophet Isaiah says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. It has, you know. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you so much that you have come to us in the person of Christ. That, that you have come to us, those who are unworthy to be invited to your party. You've come and you've invited us. And you've told us that, that we can come as we are, that you are the one who offers the, the great gift of salvation and that if we come, we will be changed forever. That we too, unworthy as we are because of our acceptance of your gift and our relationship with you, are not foreigners or strangers, but can become children of God. So, Father, may we every day come to you as we are with an openness that, that you have something just wonderful for us to see and experience. And that in that openness, Father, that there is a possibility a possibility that you have something new for us, something wonderful for us, not just at Christmas, but every day. In the name of Christ, amen.